Hello, welcome to Broken City Podcast number what? What is this, 12? 12. Alright, 12. With music from the stream. It's kind of dark. It's nice. Especially, <laughs> I like it. Alright. So how you guys been? Me? Yeah, you. Oh, bro. I've been sick, well, in between sick and well, and today I feel finally half normal. Okay, what about you? I'm good. good. Wow, good. I want to be you. <laughs> You're just straight. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> You're straight. Well, I thought it'd be cool to talk about, like, the 80s. Like, we're all products of the 80s. Like, we grew up, we're influenced by the music from the 80s. And I, I thought it'd be cool to kind of discuss, like, what that kind of music did to us as musicians, as producers, as writers, as creators. Like, Interesting. Because it's come back. It's come back. And it's also, like, a really big part of our history. It came back? Elements well. of it, for sure. Like, the Tears for Fears <laughs> 80s and that kind of, like, <coughs> real glitzy synthesizer version of it. That stuff kind of made its way back into pop. I guess, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a sense that, like... The band I Churches mean, comes to mind. And even Taylor or, Swift yeah. called her record 1980-something. Yeah. Or the like, 1975. That band is, like, so 80s. Like, it's crazy. There's a certain part of the 80s that came back. I think it's the earlier new wavy synthy part. Not necessarily... Like Simple Minds or something. Not necessarily the Patrick Swayze ballad. No. What was that? It's the cooler stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Uh, my voice is just yeah, getting, getting low. I'm getting dirty dancing right now. But yeah, 80s, man. It's It seems like... I never thought that the 80s would come back. But mm-hmm. dude, 20-something years goes by. Which be, I just learned that a generation... Mm-hmm. This is sort of off-topic, but not. A generation is technically considered to be roughly 25 years. Mm-hmm. When somebody's kids can now have kids. Oh, okay. When the average kids have kids, basically. That's a generation. I always thought of it as more like 10 years for right. some reason. A decade-ish without really thinking but yeah that seems about right so right. when a generation goes by the 80s can be brought back and people and the new kids are just like this is brand new right when you talk about the 80s coming back it's 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 in the context of almost being a novelty it's not to in us the con- well I think even to those bands and it's not in the, it's not well I guess this is a question not really a statement okay it's not in the in the context of like I'm creating from my soul and this is what happens and this is these are just the tools avail- available to me and these are the sounds that I'm used to hearing and that are part of yeah. me. There's some sort of what happened. Yeah, sort of what happened in the '80s. Like that stuff just they weren't. It wasn't contrived. They weren't trying to sound like the '80s in the '80s. It came as a result of huge technological advancements. Right, right. Just from just the analog sense to the to the digital sense and it was a reaction to the 70s everything's like a reaction plus the digital recording yeah um I think uh I don't know if this is true I think I read somewhere like that Frankie Goes to Hollywood was the first um or maybe it's the first mainstream I don't know it was the first DDD recording yeah I think you're right like recorded digitally mixed down digitally like it never ventured into yeah analog territory yeah for those of you listening you used to be able to look on the back of of a CD first CDs were the 80s, maybe 79, 80, right? <coughs> and um, you could look on the back and see how it was recorded within th- with three letters, A, analog, D, digital. So it could be like ADA or ADD or... Well, ADA wouldn't be a CD. ADD? What's that? ADA wouldn't be a CD, would it? No, it'd be the guy with the reel-to-reel. <laughs> or ADA would be a record? It'd be a record, I guess. Phonograph. Uh... But yeah, but I, I guess what I'm saying is like nowadays there's this this thing that they know exists, this sound, and like when you when you play that 
that sound it takes you back to that genre and they I mean I don't know this is again this is all within a big question mark right. yeah you're but using it just seems like it's being more novelty rather than you know this is who we are you're either literally using I'm sure there's a bunch of ways it could happen but you're using nostalgia as a tool an artistic tool mm -hmm. and then you're also potentially you know not I don't know if it's tricking people but I'm sure these bands who are musicians probably know where that stuff comes from but their fans might just be going sweet that sounds new they might not even know think about somebody born in the mid 90s or late 90s that's still somebody who's like 20 right. so or like yeah, they may not, 18, they don't 19, 20 80s depending on who their parents were if they were like just stockbrokers or something and weren't playing music around the house and didn't educate them in music those music fans might just be like the 80s I don't know well, it's care. no different than going to American Idol and talking to contestants about the Beatles and nobody knew who the Beatles were I mean it's like it's like there's a generation out there that doesn't know anything past a certain point like if they're from the 2000s and they know maybe a bit about the 90s I think that depends on their their parents yeah of course your parents yeah, record collection just changes you yeah. yeah but it's no different though than like the Beatles being influenced by Chuck Berry it's like they took from Chuck Berry and kind of like modern it up a little bit and it's like every I mean it's a weirder time because you have the 60s were more of a like experimental time 70s were kind of settling in after all the stuff that happened in the 60s and then the 80s was all technological so it's like it was kind of a magic time because technology had gotten to a point where it's like oh we can make music with computers and, and totally. it, it really shaped the sound of the music Yep. And now technology is insane. So it's like we're all now. It's like you can do anything with music. So we're in a, like a, a faster paced time than even the eighties. I like to see a couple fractions yeah. in the eighties. There's like the first part, it. which was sort of coming out of the seventies and stuff, was still kind of darker sounding. And then you get like nineteen eighty four. It's like Madonna, Prince, all that stuff starts coming into play, and it gets different. It starts to sound different and more corporate too. Okay, so let's talk about yeah the music. Yeah. So. I. It's interesting. I think people that are like grasping at the newest technology and then just like making their work kind of like saturated with it, mm. that's the stuff that sounds the oldest later mm. and the least timeless. Like I think about the records in the 80s, and stop me if I'm being like totally all about my own taste and way subjective, but I feel like the records that from the 80s that transcended the 80s and that still hold up today are the ones that have very little of that technology, very little sense. Um, they used it, but they used it, you know, subtly, and they used actually synth sounds that really never went away, like like moogs and I think sort I'm of fake strings, but a certain type of fake strings, like Peter Gabriel So, all the police stuff. Yeah, yeah. Police, that's funny that you said the police, because... Um, I'll do like you know Pandora or whatever Spotify, and I'll I'll, I'll type in Police because I just want to hear that. And it ends up playing a bunch of '80s songs, and it it's weird to me. Yeah. Because in my head, they're not an '80s band. It's uh -huh. just the Police. They're just a band, yeah. And why am I hearing these '80s songs? And it's it's kind of a weird. Uh, Maybe that's because they straddled the '70s. Yeah. I think but that might just be me. But like to me, the Police are not an '80s band. I don't think it's just you. Yeah, I know what you mean. But um, what you were saying before, <clears throat> I think somebody brought up Tears for Fears, but it immediately came to mind that the songwriting, I think, for a band like that transcends the way they recorded it. Because if you listen to Mad World, it's dated, it's, it's, uh, 
you could call it cheesy. I mean, there's definitely like an 80s kind of stigma to it, the way the original's recorded. But look at look at the legs on that song, like how many times it's been redone, and it, just the songwriting itself is expression of what the song is. Yeah, I think songwriting transcends everything, but if the song is saturated in that era's sound, it forces you into nostalgia. And like, I'll show, like for example, you know, Natalie's seven years younger than me, so I'll show her stuff that that like has so much sentimental value to me, but maybe does sound pretty eighties. Like, mm-hmm. you know, something like "Everybody Wants to Rule the World" or something. It's probably one of their most timeless eighties recordings, but it sounds like the eighties. So, um, or actually, I'm I'm avoiding the truth in this story. The truth is, I was showing her Toto. <laughs> that makes all the difference <laughs> in the world. <laughs> it really does. So she's reacting to more than the Sonics. But there's an argument for for the fact that, like, the song comes first, but if the song and the Sonics, like the police stuff and Peter Gabriel stuff, on both levels, I think, stand the test of time. You know, might need some what just came to mind when you said that is, like, Boston more than a feeling. Mm-hmm. To me, that transcends when it was recorded. When I it hear does. It. it still sounds old, but weird old. Yeah. Nothing else sounds like that. It's, it's like well, it was just, very unique and great yeah, song too. Just amazing. That stuff. Some of the journey stuff too. Sure. Yeah. Well, a lot of the journey. The biggest album was in 1981. So don't stop believing. All stuff is from 80s. 81. Yeah. Wow. Damn. When you think about it too, when you're just a, an artist doing what you do, and the 70s were just a year or two ago. Oh, yeah. You're really not in the 80s yet. No. If you're a famous band before the 80s, you're still kind of doing your thing. You're Unless you're Queen, I guess. Yeah, but Queen really kind of blew <coughs> they the went, 80s. Too. They got really two 80s, you know? They went, like that Hot Space album was terrible. That's heard, the thing, dude. You heard that album before? <laughs> no. It's horrible. Check this out. I feel like how people respond to new technology and new eras really says something about them as artists that you may not otherwise know. Like... For example, the 70s, I think, was a golden age for recording and for production, because a lot of things came together. Like, multi-track recording had been there around. There were no shortcuts in the 70s. There were no shortcuts. Yeah. The gear is still gear that we covet today. Those preamps, those compressors, like, we haven't made anything better. We've made stuff that's more enhanced, or you can do more with one piece of gear, but we still all want Neve, Neve and old API preamps. We still want those old compressors, like... We're modeling them in Pro Tools, like, so the people that had to record that stuff, editing was a pain in the butt, so they had to, like, perform. They were using this incredible gear, they had to spend time working on their craft and make these great records, and then once you could cut corners, you could see which artists were actually doing that because they wanted to, and which artists were like, shortcut, I'm there, or like, fake strings, ooh, that's neat, like, this isn't a diss on Stevie Wonder in any other way, mm-hmm. but he saw the Synclavier and was like, all right! And he stopped playing drums on his own yeah. stuff. His all the magic suffered. of Stevie actually suffered yeah. when he was given the tools of a modern age. Yeah. And I think Queen, yeah. to some degree, they were like, oh, great, disco and this new sound, and they just embraced it. And you're like, oh, the old Queen was actually partially by accident the magic of Queen and the, the, the great sounds and the performances, they started to kind of leave that yeah. when they had a chance. Well, they probably got bored. They're moving... They're they came around. Forward that last album. Right. It's amazing. Definitely more rock. Which one? Where, when was that, though? It's uh, Almost, Innuendo. 
That's almost the 90s, right? It's the year before he died, <coughs> yeah. It was uh, 89 or 90. What about, like, a good example of technology in a rock band is Rush. Like, when they did, they got out of Signals and did Grace Under Pressure. That's a pretty drastic change. That's like a band that definitely decided, we're going to go synthesizer, that's the future. I'm playing electronic drums. Was it more about the hair, though? It was a, everything was a bad, horrible switchover. <laughs> it was a terrible switchover. So what, it wasn't what, all bad. There's, was some, there's some good, Red Sector is a great song. What was before Grace Under Pressure? Signals. Signals. Which is their best album, or one of them. Okay, so, yeah, I guess they experienced a It was a, a huge changeover. We're talking, like, all synthesizers. I think, well, Very given that it's a, it's a three-piece, anything that allows you to expand your orchestration and, and you know, your palette yeah. as a three-piece, I think they, they gravitate towards... And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's cool that they went forward. I think that yeah. people like Miles Davis, people that think forward is a good thing. You're just never going to... You're not always going to get good results. Oh, was Grace Under Pressure when the, the um, Simmons or the Dynacord yes. drums came into play? Yeah, Neil Peart was using all Simmons drums. <coughs> Ouch. <clears throat> that hurt my throat. <laughs> and it hurt yeah. your soul. <laughs> okay, now I remember. Yeah, there are bands like King Crimson and Rush that were embracing the technology to a really high level. Like, they were going to make the technology into something, which I admire. I think it's cool. I think it's cool when people are able to... They, I get when you've done something for a long period of time and you're bored of it and you want to try something new and stay fresh. That's tough, man. Reactionary art yeah. tends to lead to lesser art. I, if the I reaction thought, is I, to your own work or something, like, right. you're kind of reacting against... Obviously, all, all art is reactionary. We're reacting in our souls. But if we're kind of like... Ooh, I already did that, so I'm just going to do the opposite of that. Right. There's something egotistical. They had a pretty about deep that. catalog. They did, for sure. So, I mean, yeah. there there could be a, an element of well, we've kind of we've done everything. Yeah, yeah they want to do something different. All those, those I respect resources. this. I totally let's, respect. Let's it. try something new. Yeah. I don't. I just while you were talking, I was thinking of uh, of like, the whole Skrillex kind of soundscape. Mm -hmm. How that just was the big thing, and then. Yeah. Like now it, it's sort of almost cliche, almost a. Yeah. One the of those, dubstep. Oh, God, dubstep. Godzilla. There's a yeah, there's a little bit of a stigma to it, I think. Yeah. Now. The only thing was he um, invented it, so it was cool that he invented it, so what everybody did with it. Did he invent it? He did. Kind of invented that sound. It certainly made with it. With the vocals and all the, the weird stuff. Like he was definitely the designer. Like a of front that. runner of it. I'm sure there are other people doing it, and he like caught on to it, but he got famous. Yeah. There's always somebody in the shadows doing something that they're like, I like it's, that. It's a really cool texture. It's, yeah. it's super unique. It definitely had never existed before. Yeah, I think it's cool. But then, but it can be overused. Yeah, but, but now it's associated with a genre yeah, instead totally. of just being on your palette. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which kind of sucks. It'd, yeah. be cool. It'd be cool if you could use that and it didn't take you somewhere else. Right. I think that's oh, why... Okay, so here's, here's a question for both of you guys. Is, is it that it's technological and then applied to music in such a drastic way that you just go oh, wow and then it gets old or is it that really it's just it becomes so ubiquitous everybody gets onto it that it gets old or is it because it's not about the song it's about the sound I think and anything that's about the sound yeah. and not the song just doesn't have staying power. I think you're right about the latter. I think if you don't, because if you can't really think of Skrillex's songs, you think of his sound. 
you think of what he created as a producer, as a as a. Oh, uh, it's fashion. It's fashion. But what fashion he did, is... but here I will give him credit for this though. What he did with the Bieber song, that attached a good song, <laughs> with, a good production. Like they they came across some. Like he wasn't doing his dubstep thing. Which song are you referring to? The Sorry, the one he did with Diplo. Those two guys produced the song Sorry. The song Sorry itself is a good song. Like, are you talking about Bieber? Yeah, the Bieber song. So that was a good example of taking technology and sort of wrapping it around like a piano-based song. But it's subtle. I mean, that's not like the Skrillex of... No, no, that's what I'm saying. He was able to, like, when he wraps his production in a, in a cool way around a song, it can be good. Yeah, he was smart in that he stayed relevant by, by collaborating yeah. and by dimming down some of the more extreme elements of his production. That music's all extreme. And then you're right. The thing about that kind of music, to me, to me seems very extreme. There's yeah. no subtleties in it. And that can be hard to take after a while. That's it's like why, heavy metal. Well, I think, but what's its purpose? That its purpose is like the club scene or rave or I think it was which like is that. a high turnover world. Yeah, well, for sure. EDM but I mean, it, it's it's the type of thing you could probably drawn to in a, in a live setting totally. where it's like a party. It's it's not necessarily. Yeah, for a while there, it, it replaced rock because it was an aggressive sound. It's it still really rock. it really represented the same sort of um, emotions that a, that a cranking heavy metal guitar does. It was it's that same distortion exciting thing and, and rock kind of went out of vogue and that came in to replace it so in a live setting you're just like ah intensity loud super high impact distortion yeah it's gonna be really tough for rock to come back to where it was i mean i don't know if it ever will be what it was but they need to figure something out like rock bands need to exist and people need to play instruments, you know, but they need to figure out what they're going to do to make it work, because I feel bad for, like, a, a band, like, if you're starting a band right now, dude, let's go to my garage and make some music, it's like, where do you, like, where does it go? Do you play, what songs do you play? Like, we knew what to play, because it was like, you play some Jimi Hendrix songs, play some Rush songs, it's like you had your rock and roll stuff, and you had the police, and yeah. there was a lot of technology, but you still had the rock like if you want yeah. to be a rock kids band, are still learning deep purple yeah they, i mean Smoke i used to teach water. i taught for 10 years at the at saddleback and kids would come in and they always wanted to learn the same stuff smoke in the water um uh, sunshine of your love all the rock songs because yeah. that's what the guitar is designed i mean it's like it's designed to play that music i mean that's what it's about so it's it, kids will still want to do that <coughs> and they'll still want to play rock and roll but i just wonder how it's going to What's going to happen with rock? Well, I think a couple things happen. I think the internet makes it... The way the internet creates a culture of who knows what is going to happen makes guessing the future, like, impossible. impossible. Yeah, you can't guess what people are going to like. But I do think that rock was slightly poisoned by the pop rock of the, of the mid, mid to early 2000s. Mm -hmm. Once you had, like, the best of that, I, in my personal opinion, I think a lot of people would agree, it would be, like, Since You've Been Gone by Kelly Clarkson. That's like the ultimate pop rock song. Right. It's definitely not rock in the sense that you would say like Led Zeppelin is rock or something. But it's definitely not pop in the sense that you would say NSYNC was pop. It's a it's basically a rock track but with a, you know, elegantly amazing singer on great top of it. Hook. Yeah. A great hook. Just great songwriting in a rock context. Yeah. Then you have bands like Creed, Creed, Avril Lavigne, um, Nickelback yeah and then there's a you know Ashley Simpson they were yeah. all using rock to convey a tough like a tough attitude it was all rock very in. poppy but everybody knew like yes you have the the plug in that makes your your direct guitar sound well, like rock hey, hey Violet fits into that Charlie Bond 
<coughs> they do to some degree, although they're more... They're more punk, I guess. They're more influenced by real rock, you know? But I think definitely there's a pressure on them um, to to be more pop than rock and to, you know, they, they're in between that area, you know? Because like, I know that the people around them... Um, being that we were so close to making those records, Cherry Bomb M, the Hey Violet EP, more so Cherry Bomb. I think Cherry Bomb was able to be a rock band, and they really encouraged they embraced that. that. They were cool about it. But the problem is it didn't it didn't actually work out. <laughs> so they were all kind of like, well, pop now. Yeah. Uh, or more, more pop anyway. But they can really play, which is nice. But I think maybe that poisoned what rock is. Now people are kind of like, what is real rock and where is it and we don't want it who consumes it and then but in terms of so the do you think do you think bands like um, like Foo Fighters since they've been around for 20 years yeah do you think they get a pass yeah they're a classic band they just and Dave Grohl is cool I think they're he's on a victory lap you know he's he's going around and hanging out with his heroes more so than I think he's 100% focused on you know record making and being he's he's in a cool spot like let the man do whatever he feels like doing but I don't feel like I mean he's in a way one who's known for carrying the torch of rock but I feel like his in my opinion the music the music was better back before he was carrying the torch and he was you know maybe enjoying his his lifestyle as a as a human being like going I'm going to I'm going to hang with Paul McCartney I'm going to I'm going to do this I'm going to do that I think that might refer to maybe like the last album was somewhat questionable for a lot of people and that partly because of the way it was made yeah really but yeah um, like if you go back just a couple years to wasting light I think that's one of the best albums. Yeah, I don't really know that record, so um, I can't talk on that. Yeah, so I mean, I definitely feel what you're saying off the off the latest off the latest thing, but I don't think they're too far out. What's that record? Four years old by now. So, yeah. I mean, it's only four. It's been four years since mm-hmm. they released something that I think stands on its own without the oh, you're Foo Fighters, so you get a pass. We'll like it because you're Foo Fighters. Right. You know, I think it was genuinely good. I think when a band and like that goes away, somebody's gonna somebody's gonna fill in that gap. I think it's all going to come around. Like I'm thinking about uh, Jack White, um, White Stripes. Mm-hmm. It was was kind of based in that. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely more of a more of a punk kind of southern punky blues. Yeah, but well, that's the thing. And it has, I think it has to come back different. And I think four years is the new ten years. Yeah, that's not math, like mathematical. Right. <laughs> well, but I do think one year time, is like four years in this day and age is like a long freaking time. Yeah, in music. Because the turnover is so crazy. That's like a decade. Not that that's an important statement, but so I think that if rock, well, here's what here's what I'm interested to see. We we're talking about the '80s. The '80s have clearly come back, um, or they've come back. I don't know how clear and like everywhere it is, but we've seen it come back because we're producing records and getting like briefs from A and R guys, labels, and going like, we want it to sound like this meets that meets this, and we're like, oh. 80s meets pop you know that's like the thing and so we have to technically understand that like oh there's a synth sound on this thing that's a total 80s synth sound and that's what that's the sound you know in the reference they just made 
and we understand it as being 80s, and it's all over the place, a certain element of 80s. So if that's the decade we're, we're reaching into, when we start reaching into the 90s, I feel like that's going to be fun. Because that's why I feel like the Cherry Bomb record was actually like five to ten years too early. Because mm-hmm. what happens when the 90s come back? I mean, they're starting to. I think the 90s has started to come back in terms of like uh, the Mariah Carey 90s. Yeah, that part of it. And the R&B 90s. There's a little bit of Boys to Men coming back and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of that. Um, who's the singer that works with Max Martin and has the bad grammar in that one song? Everyone. Oh, Ariana Grande? Ariana Grande, what'd you say? I said everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Ariana Grande and everyone. But there's definitely her some 90s, 90s yeah. and her stuff. But what happens if grunge like really comes back as if it's something new to young artists and the singer-songwriter movements of like the Lilith Fair and the Shell Crow and the Sarah McLachlan. If that starts to make its way back, I feel like that's dipping into something that's was there in the 70s and the 60s. Like it's like the classic just actual things made out of wood that you record mm-hmm. through wire you know yeah and there's As some artists doing like, the, the singer songwriter thing which is cool but not a, not a lot like I can only think of two off the top of my head Sam Smith and <laughs> that what that make that kind of music like organic sort of singer songwriter music that are at the top of the heat. at the top of the heat. there are there's some other things that are kind of like the Bieber thing had a little bit of that, but it was interspersed with electronics. Yeah. It's like there's definitely a people are wanting to hear some stuff that's like that because they you can't just do all pure electronic music because that'll be too much for everybody too. There has to be a balance of everything because you know not everybody wants to hear a four to the floor banger kind of a song. You need to hear somebody's truth at some point or something that somebody's speaking from their heart. And that's what makes this era so unique is that everything is available all the time everywhere yeah. so it's like there isn't like this corporate sort of move no, towards it's not something. one style it's like now if, if you like something you can just go get it and focus on it so it's it's much more blurry what's it's, it's what almost style like, is popular it's, yeah it's not what is going to be created that's new it's what's going to be unearthed like it's it's already there there's just so much there's so much out there it's it's where where is the the focus gonna hit because like there's right there's the unique things happening like if you dig deep enough there's unique things happening oh, for, sure. Where for that sure are just like it's just who has the time to dig like that's the problem it's like yeah to get to the consciousness of, of the consumer the stuff they're being fed is a certain brand of music you know like a certain aesthetic it's not all one style but it's a certain thing like if you listen to kiss fm it's like you hear it there's a sound that permeates through most of it there's hip-hop elements, there's like a little bit of singer-songwriter stuff, but it's all interspersed electronics. But the people that are making really different kind of music, those are the people that are having the hardest time because how do you even sell any records? How do you sell a song? But then well, something that shoots the through. There yeah. is always something that shoots it, through. It has to be really good. If it's really good, people will respond. If, yeah, if your goal is to sell records, then you know, yeah. you're either going to stop making that music or you, you're gonna, just going to get lucky or... Um, you're going to change the type of music you make. Right. So but you I, see I think, it more often than not. Yeah, I, I think... Unfortunately, there's, there's always going to be that element out there, especially now with just the internet and the availability that you can, you can basically find anything. You can find sure. any niche you want. 
SoundCloud has all that stuff. But <clears throat> there's always going to be that element out there that does it because that's their passion. Yeah. And they don't care if they sell one record. That this is just what they want to do. And that's what we need everybody to be doing, in my opinion. Not to be like a, what is that, idealist? I don't know. I just feel like a lot of times it's 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 some kind of insecurity that makes you want to feel like you need to copy something in order to get hurt or something but well you end up filtering yourself out like the the ones who weren't born to do that will filter themselves out because they're, they're they have other goals in mind like i need this many hits i need this many likes i need this many sales yeah and they'll eventually get out of that that genre or whatever niche they happen to be in but man it's like and when you're when you're in that world the corporate music business as an artist but also as a, somebody who is striving to have a career and pay the bills it's incredible how much you see like um, that uh, that target move from you know we'll get an A&R brief for, for a band and it'll start at like yeah we want kind of a like you know neon trees meets Duran Duran thing and then you go, all right, let's see what what we can do. And then, like, six weeks later, they're like, no, it's really more of a One Direction meets, the, you know, like, it'll change, like, kind of upside down and sideways. And you're like, okay, so there is, you're just looking for what you've decided will work. Not, but they don't you're not really. looking for something that's <laughs> rooted in who this artist actually yeah, is. Yeah or anything it's just literally like move the target to wherever it's gonna like fit and even when they get exactly the target they thought they wanted they don't want that either nope because they're like oh well that band with that sound doesn't work they still just want to be surprised <laughs> and they want something that they want feels something fresh. great yeah no matter what it's, it has to be original on some level or they'll be bored too because they'll be like we heard somebody <coughs> handed us a song just like that about five minutes ago so that's it, why you gotta chase after your authenticity because you cannot gauge you gotta do it feels right to what you. anybody's gonna want and and it has to be good it's, yeah, and good is a moving target too which sucks what people consider to be good also has to feel right to them. <laughs> right like <laughs> you know we've heard it oh, sure. oh that's really good I don't know if that would work right now or if that's good for anybody that I know right. or like it's a very strange thing and sometimes songs can take a long time to get placed sometimes you have written something like a year ago and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, somebody will call up and say, hey, this person wants to record it. And you're like, wow, that was so long ago. It's amazing how songs can sit for ages until somebody finally thinks it's And man, right. when that happens, I would say 9.9 .9 times out of 10, if that's possible with songs, a ninth of a song. Yeah. But it happens with a song that does adhere to that, to those, uh, that approach of, authenticity and going after something that's pure because a perfect example is a song that that you really were the captain of the ship on um, The Hard Way oh, yeah. which is a piano ballad that we wrote a while ago you brought that song in and it was just amazing ages ago crazy and you'd written it from a very personal perspective and it was you know very outside of some sort of intellectual career move and we all thought it felt great and you know it, it got pitched around and stuff and it didn't land anywhere and then you know over a year later that was a cool story it's coming out now on um, Javier Colon's new record in who, April 
in April. Yeah, he he was the first season winner of The Voice. Super good singer. Great guy, great singer. And we totally did the song justice. It was actually a female song. Yeah. And we had to, we lowered it a half step. Yeah, I think and so. And it's still high. It's and he still just, high. He murdered it. <laughs> so I can't wait for people to hear that. But yeah, that came out good. That was one of those examples where it's like, man, why why don't we, <laughs> why are we always in that headspace? Yeah, it's hard to capture those moments too. To be in that headspace where you capture just the right, you have to be there. It has to hit you and then be real. You know, yeah. every now and they come in like that where you're like, oh, that feels authentic, and then people really respond to it. Yeah. And our people, um, there's one that I hope we get cut one day. You can call up. That I feel like that's a song that's like, yeah. Ian, our manager, loves it. It's a great one. Adam came up with it, and it's like, I'm just thinking that's gonna get cut one day because it has that feeling. There's a feeling attached to it. Yeah. You know, it came from a real place. I know, but that's what I'm saying it's like those songs that just happened. Like you didn't. That was just came through you one day. Yeah. It's like those are hard to come by. And those usually start in a lonesome place. Like yeah. you started the hard way by yourself. I was in here on a Sunday in my boxers with the acoustic bass, just thinking like, you know, getting that feeling like, I just want to write a melody over root notes <laughs> and have that mean something, yeah. chords, like implied chords, of course, but, um, and just in that feeling, but yeah. It's I love the chords in that song. You should put that at the end of the podcast. I know you can't though, because it's not. <laughs> yeah, I'll ruin it. <laughs> can't do that. Unfortunately... You'll just have to wait one decade until somebody finally <laughs> a year from now it'll get figures cut. out that it was worthwhile. <laughs> but I, you know, it's interesting. This technology and like, it's funny because in the, the 80s feel like now too. Because everything was moving at a rapid pace. It was all about synthesizers and this and that. And I feel like the now is kind of similar. It's like technology is still moving everything forward. Everybody's chasing the technology because it's something that's appealing. But how do you make really good songs out of technology? That's the trick. You still have to be a good songwriter. Because all the songs that have a lot of technology, they're good pop songs, but the ones that stand the test of time have that extra quality. It just gets you focusing on the wrong stuff. So yeah. you have to be very aware that, you know, it's like you're building a house, and all you can do is focus on the cool drill you just got. Right. It's like, yeah, man, and you're just putting the screws in all the wrong places. Like, yeah. if you focus too much on the tools... You forget what it is that you're building, I think. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of times new technology makes you just kind of like, you're obsessed with how cool it sounds to go meow. And you forget, like, oh, you need a song. Too, you always need a song. By the way. <laughs> you always need one of those. That's why it never hurts to have song craft at your disposal. And a real drummer. And a real drummer. And a real drummer. Gosh, man, that'd be awesome if real drums came back. With feel. So, like, I, miss, I do miss feel. <coughs> I miss knowing that a drummer's on a record and I can, I can tell who it is. Like, that's become obsolete. I still think it'd be cool. Yeah. We talked about this before, but, you know, on, on, on food labels, you have certified organic or or whatever. <laughs> certified non-beef. Yeah, there's some, there's some sort of, like, certified official seal that you, you put on, a, on an album that is, you know, no beat doctor, no auto-tune. Right. Like, just... This is certified organic. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know that probably. Yeah, it, funnily it, enough, that would be a thing that people would probably be very into because that's a it's a shtick in a way. Well, yeah, because I think it would be, I think you would you would we experience it within that context too, knowing because if you if you know like if you listen to Adele or, or any any great singer, 
but you know 100% there was zero auto-tune used. Nothing. Huh? No manipulation right. of pitch. You you're imme- immediately have a higher level of respect because sure. you know. Even yeah. though the product itself without that without that, you know, you certification is still great. Right. You're, you're still left wondering, like, when you buy those concert tickets. Yeah, am I going to get the real is thing? Is it going to yeah. be as good? Yeah. You know, because there's, there's, of course, proof of that all over the internet where it's not as good, not with Adele, but, I mean, just people right. in general. But it, it would just be... Uh, yeah, it's a slippery slope of, of uh, process and result. Yeah, I don't and have a problem with people using it. I just I yeah. would love to know if they're not using. It. Right. A lot of singers don't like it. Oddly enough, a lot of newer singers that are coming up now don't like auto tune. They want to know that their voice can hold up and be. I've noticed that a lot real. of those people that don't like auto tune, I think some of them it's a pride thing. Like totally. I want to be able to get it right. Others don't know what it is and they think, oh, using auto tune, I'm going to sound like T Pain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to sound like a robot. It's like no, if, if you use it wrong or it's if you want to do be that, subtle. yeah. So, but <laughs> certified organic is awesome, especially <laughs> relative to like performance, like certified live organic. That's if cool. You knew, if you knew a drum track was not beat doctored in any way or spliced or no, no, we didn't cut in for anything, like it was just record, played it. You didn't replace a snare drum with another snare like, drum. Yeah, yeah. No, nothing. Just all you're hearing is like if there's a way to actually know that when you listen back to that in that context it's just such like a greater level of appreciation for sure it's a mental game it's like especially if it's done well you know what you're getting people don't know what they're getting with the records anymore they don't know if the singer sang it I guess you'd have to film it yeah you could do that I mean the Foo Fighters do that more or less they don't really doctor their records they just they just go to tape yeah you know in a lot of ways (coughs) here's how I kind of look at editing I like editing. Same <laughs> <It's> time. <laughs> well, editing is you know, it's like asking a a filmmaker to shoot everything in one take and edit in camera. Like, all right, right. There's nothing wrong with that. But There's would you like to know if it. a film was made sure. that way? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that wouldn't that expand or just increase your level of appreciation? If I you think knew? so. As a maybe as a filmmaker, but if the film would have been better had he not done it that way. If the film's great and he did it that way, then it just adds another layer of appreciation. The film kind of sucked and it was like that. I'd be like, I wish he would have just added it. You know, there's there's a scene in Pulp Fiction that it's uh, I don't know the exact time that the length of time, the duration, but a one shot. It's a single shot. Yeah, yeah. And it it goes on for like minutes and it's a single shot and. My son actually pointed out to me, he's like, oh yeah, we talk about it in our film class, like, you know, here it is, and he played it for me. And just knowing that that was a single shot, how familiar I am with that movie. Was it the car accident? It's... Where he ends up in the I know shot? Part, part of the single shot, I think, is where they're going up the stairway, right before they go to the, the apartment. Where the, oh, okay, it's when he's, like, jumping the fences. I think. Bruce Willis' character. And going in and getting his... I'd have to, I'd have to look at it again. I, don't, I think that's I don't what it is. is. And then he Uzi's... Uh, but there's a there's a single yeah. shot in there, and knowing when you watch it, knowing that it's a single shot, it's just whoa. Yeah. That's seriously cool, and it it, it just be. And there's a feeling nice to if that. people if if artists were more. Um, not saying they should do that more, but if if they did say something like, by the way, this track, no auto tune. 
no beat doctor. Well, they kind of used to do it in the 70s. Like, if you look at the back of Queen Records, say no synthesizers were used in this record. Like, they were proud of the fact that they got all their sounds. Or you know, I will say this, is that when Rage Against the Machine, when... I was thinking about that, too. That, that bugged me. It bugged you? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was pretentious. Like, I'm very happy for you. You did not use any synthesizers they said, they said on this recording. That's an old thing. Uh, you know, I, I see both sides of it, for sure, but I kind of thought, like, isn't the idea that, that it ends up being awesome? Not, like, that yeah. you did it a certain way right. well, they're it's really got proud it's got to be a balance of like the song can't suck and say here look I did <laughs> yeah. that Dave Weckle tune where he did all the triggers <laughs> that's right you know it's like hey I did this with all triggers it's like yeah but it didn't sound that good yeah. <laughs> it's cool did I just say something bad it's, is it the difference like I mean it's like <laughs> isn't it similar to like <laughs> well, this is great. not certified organic podcast I'm trying to demonstrate. Look, mom, no no feet or yeah. no hands. It's kind of like that. It's like, yeah, in a sense. I mean, it's got to be good. And then with the extra added bonus, hey, by the way, this is one take. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know what it is? Is maybe this is the thing, or or this is what would make me sort of appreciate that more. Is this was this was performed live with no editing, and when you hear it, you go, "Man, there's something special about that." And then you read that and you go, that's why it's special. If there's something you're actually getting out of it that does feel like more, and it wasn't contrived, I think you're, you're, you don't feel like you've been lied to, maybe. I think it's, it's like the, to bring up Foo Fighters again, but Dave Grohl's Everlong on the Howard Stern show. Yeah. Like, just blew up. And now it's a thing. Like, you can download it. It's like an actual, legit version of the song, because it was, it was him with his guitar in a radio in a uh, broadcast studio yeah and with no production with all the flaws with all the pitch issues and all the rhythm issues uh-huh. um, and it's just there's some magic about it you know, did you guys see humanity the, in it yeah. did you guys see the Foo Fighters thing uh, where they did that spoof on them breaking up no. and he's sitting there yeah, talking to Bush Fig and he's like <laughs> It's like, dude, the future is you just press one note and the music just comes out. He goes, just one finger, one note? He's like, yeah, and he gets in the studio and he's just like, playing one note. And then singing like, oh, no, no, no. It's, it's pretty one brilliant. One finger, one and note. Then, and then the guy, who's Nick Nick Lachey, comes Nick in Lachey, and, yeah. and he comes in and auditions for the Foo Fighters because Dave's breaking up. It's like, so Dave's going to go off solo and do one finger pop. And dude. Nick Lachey comes in and sings Everlong. No way. He sounds good. He's a good singer. Good. <laughs> that's awesome. I got to see that. Dave, that's one thing about Dave. Is smart. He does things in a smart way. He knows yeah. how to. He knows how to make movies. He knows how to be funny. He knows how to be everything you'd want somebody to be. He does that. Yeah, he's not an accident. And he's also a genuine guy. Like when you hang out with him, he's a really cool person. It's like you just go, that guy's cool. Yeah. You know, he's the guy who buys Big Mac. Not Macs that I've hung out with him. You've hung out with. Yeah, him. but he's the guy who'll come to the studio and go, "I'm going to McDonald's. Who wants a Big Mac?" And like he'll take everybody's order and bring them back Big Macs, and he drives through on his motorcycle, gets the Big Macs, and comes back, and it's like that sounds like he's trying to kill everybody. <laughs> <laughs> he loves McDonald's, but yeah. <clears throat> on the, to bring it back around about the the click track certified organic. Um, yeah. One of those uh, one of those documentaries, um, Nirvana slash Dave Grohl documentaries. He talks about um, having issues with lithium, the song, not the substance. Oh yeah, I remember that. And he says that there's no click track like not only 
was it recorded like organically, but he didn't even play to a click. And going back now, where I'm at in my life and development, yeah, um, and listening to Lithium, knowing that there's no click track, it's pretty damn cool. You know, just knowing that, right? Even was though, it, like, did it make it a better song or right. whatever? I mean, there's that you could you could argue that. Right. Yeah, but, personal best. Yeah, yeah I think just, we're at a place yeah, now cool where knowing we, that there's no click track on there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, in a way, it's it's the two different ways of looking at music is like you're, are you, is are you performing something, or are you, like painting a picture, are you like layering things and creating this work of art, over time that you then present, or are you capturing a, a like a moment in time? You know, are you saying like I wrote this piece of music, that's the painting, and then, in terms of capturing it on a recording. It took the same amount of time to play it as it did to listen to it. You know what I mean? And that I think is a, is a very different special thing. I think that's what's special about live music. And there's something special about that in recorded music. And in hi- and you, when you go back in history and you think like, wow, Frank Sinatra was in front of the orchestra singing at the same time like that, and it took the same amount of time to make that recording as it did for me to listen to it. As opposed to like we spent a year in the studio and here's ten songs and we spent months, like it's just a different. I like both. It's a different. Both. both are absolutely valid, 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 but they're different. I think psychologically we've come to an age where people have abused the recording process to the point where you almost feel like you're being lied to in recordings. I think. Do you guys agree with that? Like I don't know if I'm looking. like when you go when you hear somebody sing live. Okay, early Taylor Swift. Her records were, you know, these were good songs mm-hmm. recorded with a good sounding voice. And then she's on the MTV Music Awards or the Grammys and she's having a really hard time singing over and over and over right, live. I've seen that. You feel like, well, I've been kind of lied to about this talent. Like she's she wasn't she's quite a good ready. painter, she but she's not a good performer. And there's this feeling of like you're being let down or you've been lied to. Right. Which is okay for the recording, but then you and I think that's why that certified organic has meaning because you don't want to feel like you're being lied to. I think certain arts aren't ready to. They put her with Stevie Nicks. She wasn't ready for any of that. Like, you need to have more experience before you go up and do something like that. And know? she's much better now. But she is way better now. But yeah, sometimes you're not ready to do the live thing like that. And that's unfortunate. That's people talent. didn't know that. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> they yeah, found it's the cer- hard it's way. certainly not like, this way is the right way or this way is a better way. Yeah. It, just, get, it would be nice to know which way you used... I get the same satisfaction. Because so I can appreciate it more. Yeah, I get the same satisfaction from a live recording or less. Than, and making a studio recording. I get the same satisfaction. They both do the same thing for me. Like I did that DVD where we perform, perform everything live, no overdubs. And I'd watch it back and go, I did that. That's awesome. I feel good about that. But then I'd do the same thing with the recording and we'd do stuff together and I'm like, I, we did that. It's awesome. You know, it's like I get the same, there's no different feelings about it. They're both a result. Yeah, and you're definitely somebody who. I would say for most of your life straddled the fence in yeah. terms of like very much a jazz musician yeah. very much somebody who records and produces yeah I would say I've probably I've done a lot of performing um, but I'm definitely more of of like a painter when it comes to music like I want to I want to capture performances but like I want to capture a certain kind of performance and 
I want to control the environment. Yeah, I want to create something that really feels like it captures everything that I want inside of it. Right. I, yeah, I understand that. I like that process. I know what I mean. I know what you mean. It's good to have a balance of both because if you can go up and record like what you're saying, if you have the ability to play with an acoustic guitar and deliver, there's a satisfaction to that that cannot be denied, and also people get something from that. But also, if you're able to make a, a sonic landscape, that's is equally appealing to me. Yeah, I like yeah it maybe it, maybe it has something to do with understanding the value of each and, yeah. and having a vision for what you want. Because you know, does it matter if if the drums feel a certain way as opposed to just being perfect? If you just always like default to yeah, drums are supposed to be perfect, or if you always default to vocals are just supposed to be in tune, you don't get all of the musical value and artistic value in time deviation which classical music is full of and same with in pitch deviation pitch deviation and time deviation are emotional tools and if you pop music like removes those from the emotional toolbox which is kind of crazy because like yeah. when you hear you can hear it in Adele's music those times I mean she's a great singer with great pitch but you can hear her like go for a note and, and be a little under it and then get to it or you hear hit a note and overshoot it a little bit and you're like that creates tension and release yeah. and when you hear you know I was just watching this old video of Jeff Porcaro um, from MI actually they had like a lesson that he had done that they pulled out of the archives I'd never seen it that's cool I thought I'd seen everything that you could see online with Jeff Porcaro and his playing is just like incredible and it's so not perfect, but it's so consistently not perfect. Yeah. And the way it's imperfect is, is feel. It's like just, it's his thing. It's like this organism of imperfection that's just perfect. Yeah. And you, people don't really value that as much anymore. The only place I see imperfections are like drum imperfections is hip-hop, where they've got this beat that's all jacked up. Like they're they're going after that sound where it's not all mechanical. They wanna they wanna feel to it. And they're getting it in such a strange way because they're getting it with like this. Yeah, they're they're actually their performance is based on an MPC. But there's a there's an art form to it though. It's like a really interesting art form. The way they attack it, the way, they they view that that's an instrument. The MPC is an instrument. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's your fingers or if it's a baseball bat. As long as it, if you can make music with it, and you can make it feel good. It's just like your art. You know, you can't. It's all valid. Don't diss my art. Well, you take pieces yeah. and you put it together. You know, no, it's yeah, the same thing. If you're telling a real story, I mean, how you tell it is, in some ways, in secondary. In other ways, you know, how you tell your story is just as important as the story itself. But on a funny side note. The drum machine is they're starting to put feel to drum machine where they yeah. didn't they don't have drummers doing it now, but they want to give the drum machine what we missed from the drummer doing it. I see that happening. I hear things being laid back, I hear things being pushed <laughs> forward, I hear things sounding way messed up. Yeah, that's like taking a, a candy bar with corn syrup in it and trying to like strain out the corn syrup <laughs> and then remake the candy bar to feel like it's organic. <laughs> like I don't know. I th I think people are doing whatever they can do with what they have available to them. Sure. You know, and that's that's commendable because when you you know, if you're not a drummer and you can't afford a drummer and you want drums, try to get them. You know, obviously don't steal, but 
in the end, I think what stands the test of time is the truth of, of getting things in an honest way. And I think when you do that, you gain something that people can feel. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. When you hear somebody's, like, gosh, man, who? Carter Beaufort from Dave Matthews Band, he has a feel. You can tell that he's, whether there's editing between takes or not, you can hear that that guy has a feel. Um, and there are a lot of other, you know, maybe lesser known people out there that, that, that have feels that are that are making music, but I think what's popular right now is perfection or imperfection in this calculated program. Imperfect. Calculated imperfection in this way, which is cool. I think you know, Timbaland he's, was somebody he who really... That. Yeah, he's always been doing that. Yeah, a lot of guys. You it has a that. swing. It's a mm -hmm. swung feel is what it is. Yeah. But it's very jagged. Which is, there's value to that for sure. What are you thinking right now? I was thinking about the drummer for uh, Jack White, and I can't remember his name. Oh, the, the newest drummer? Yeah. Yeah, I like that guy. Oh, gosh. He's What's from, that uh, YouTube video called? Oh, yeah, he uh, does a lot of that. escaping my mind, but uh, rap, not Rat Pack. Pack. I don't have my phone. But his stuff, know. his drumming is I'll like I'll try to think of it and give you the, the link. Yeah, yeah I like, like that That guy. guy is... Their whole band is like that. Though. Amazing, yeah. The whole trio was it's like a <laughs> screwed up hip-hop track. But it was really cool because it was so consistent. But he's... he's. It's not just... It doesn't feel just like hip-hop. Like, it feels... Especially with Jack White's, like, background. Mm -hmm. Where it has that... Historical yeah sensibility. there's something there I, I, I said southern earlier but it, it kind of feels like that like that greasy sort of yeah he's connected like, to the old blues guys yeah um, and punk but it definitely I mean even even the white stripes embrace imperfection as part of the oh, yeah, totally. performance yep I mean their thing to try to give you an example of it like Gannon you play something that's just whacked out the drummer is going like Shuffle? And then he was doing like a 16th note, like. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Definitely put that, put that video on the end of the yeah. podcast. Well, the thing is, one guy is being, they're both being unrelenting in their, in their feels. Yet they're listening <laughs> to each other. Yeah. So there's this feeling like. Even though that's, I should go. I'm going better than the other way. And then, like, it pops on the uh at the end of the phrase. They all hit it. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, that's really they definitely cool. have a they have a chemistry between the two of them. It's, it's really cool. It's, cool. it's tension, and it's like it's like I'm putting my humanity in your face. It is, it is that song, that particular song we're talking about, is tension the whole time. Yeah, it's there's so no release. Unnerving, but it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it is cool. I love oh. it. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, there's a certain discipline to play like that for sure. Sounds like life, man. Sounds like waiting for something to happen. It's like, <laughs> it was grooving. Ah, happened. It's cool. Well, uh, maybe we should end here because you gotta you gotta bail out. Yep. Um, Thanks for listening, guys. Podcast number 12, Adam Watts. Dole Mata. Mike Jackson. Pico de Gallo. <laughs> See you next time. Leave you on that chord. I got a chord for you.
Cause the money's gonna last